0: Are you ready to scale? Why not invest three minutes in our scalability index? It's quick, it's easy, and it's got specific guidance. Find it at evokinggenius.com scale. Hello, and welcome back to Genius at Scale. Today's guest is Dave Mattson. Dave's the CEO and owner of Sandler. Dave, tell us about yourself.
1: Well, thanks for having me. um, Sandler is a worldwide organization. We focus on on anyone that's generating revenue in any organization, and we provide content, consulting, and tools to make their lives easier, more effective, more efficient.
0: No, that's great. So you've you've been running the company for a long time. So I'm curious, um, obviously you've grown exponentially. How do you measure scale? How does, I mean, because you're, you're in the revenue, you're training people to produce revenue. How does a revenue training company uh, contextually deal with scale? Is it, is it as simple as it would seem that you're just measuring revenue?
1: Uh, we measure revenue. We measure uh, time to market, whether it's products, uh, things of that nature. You know, with 260 offices around the world, lots of ways to measure it. You know, I, I think for us, how we measure it outside of any given um, particular item is, are we ready behind the scenes in order to run as fast as we want to run? That's how we kind of look at scale, right? So regardless of where it is. It could be new product launch. It could be new vertical. could be a lot of different things. Um, but for us, we're always looking for ways to make sure that we can run as fast as we want to run, whatever that is, when the time comes. And that's kind of how we pay attention to the scaling issue behind the scenes.
0: So how do you keep that game fresh? How do you keep... Could, could that is there a possibility
1: that game could get stale? The scaling game? Yeah. Well, I mean, I I always uh, the joke around here is that I'm always in the left lane. Right. So for me, scaling is just second nature. I think scaling is a way of life. If you think about the industry that we're in, you've got you know, learners learning differently all the time. The buyer journeys are changing all the time. Technology is changing all the time about how the people want to consume content. And that's the business that we're in. And so I think because of 2020 with you know, all the virtual stuff. I just think acceleration is just the name of the game. It's the new net normal, right? And so in order to not become stale, I think you've got to juggle a couple different things. One, for those in the organization, you have to juggle work-life balance because otherwise they will get tired. And in in fairness, if you remain stagnant in today's world, you'll be out of business. So there's really not an option. So I I think you do have to pay attention to the work-life balance. I also think that in order to keep it scale, you're, we can always focus on revenue, right? So everyone's like, hey, are you scaling revenue? And it's that, that's how we all keep score, I get it. But if you look at all the parts of the organization that, fit, you know, that kind of feed into the revenue engine, they all have to scale, right? So I'm scaling within my particular department, I'm scaling within my group, I'm scaling within the organization. And I, and I think all that is necessary, otherwise the revenue portion of the scaling cannot happen. And and therefore, I think there's always change, right? There's always a lot of different things going on, and we're not focused on one single thing all the time, and it just gets tiring. You're like, okay, well, when is this going to end? You know, I just think because of those moving parts, it stays fresh and it allows you to focus on different things throughout the day or the week just to make sure that it doesn't stay, you know, stale, as you said. But Quite frankly, I think those days are, are kind of gone, as I said before, as far as the, the pace by which we do business is accelerated.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So is it, is it possible to simply attract people that are, if you will, built for a scaling organization as opposed to people that want to move at a linear pace or a more um, measured measured pace? Is it, is it possible to just fill the organization with people that say, let's run,
1: let's go hard? It's you can for sure. I mean, there's plenty of behavioral assessments out there that, you know, you can figure out who are the plotters and and making sure everything is right. You know, we want to make sure that we aim, ready, aim, ready, ready, aim before we fire. And then, of course, you get the fire, fire, you know, we'll aim later. So you can you can sort that out by an assessment for sure. But I think the culture of the company, quite frankly, weeds people out as well or attracts those types of people. And so for us. To me, I think you have a brand new organization every quarter, right? So if you think, hey, are we going to be changing? You're always going to be changing. And for you to be super comfortable about either what you've built or your particular department, chances are you wouldn't be a good fit here at Sandler. And not that you wouldn't be a good fit in other places, but we just are moving so fast that that's probably not going to be part of our DNA. Now, here's the here's the downside of that you do need people who just say, hey, wait a minute, let's just slow down. Because moving fast without all the stuff behind the scenes is a recipe for chaos, right? That just says, oh, we're scaling, we're scaling. And that hides all the sins that you do for not being prepared, not getting ready. And that's not how that works, right? You can't show up to the board and say, hey, we've scaled, but we're in complete chaos. Uh, they to have to go together. So I think everyone has a place within that organization. But certainly, if you're not embracing change, and if you don't realize change is just part of how we operate, especially here at our company, then chances are by default you'll probably self-select out, and that's pe- that's how people vote in today's world. They vote with their feet. If they like that environment, they stay, and if they don't, they'll find something that's closer to whatever makes them happy and them tick.
0: Right. No, it's 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 terrific. So, do you have di- do you have different um, optimization per team? Like you say, there's, there's some parts of your organization that have to be grounded or stable um, or predictable for everyone else to be able to run fast. How do, you, how do you manage for optimization between the teams so that the entire organization can
1: scale? Well, and that's hard, right? Because you, you certainly, we're always looking within our own groups Yeah, you know? But if you think about, if you're just one piece of the puzzle, there's things before yeah, before your particular group and there's things after and if we're not working in conjunction with each other then it doesn't really matter how good your group here is in the middle it's not going to help if either side isn't working in the same right. you know in the same manner right so i think that's important so how do we do that well the first thing i think we have to do is over communicate what is the path right so what what are we doing why are we doing it and what's the path by right, which we get there I think most of the time, if you just happen to know what you're doing, uh, that's not really going to be good enough if you're scaling. You have to kind of know what's before and after. So you can start to think about it. You can project. You can get ready for issues. right? I mean, you think about most leaders. I think one of the biggest mistakes is they hand people jobs or they hand people tasks and they don't tell them why they're doing it or what's where is that important? Where does it fit into the overall scheme? And by doing that, and I know we're all hurried, so you say, hey, just go get that project done. But if you don't tell people where it fits, then they can't use their brain to help it even make better, right? Because if you think about it, you've hired them because you know that they're good at what their job is. So why don't you leverage that by giving them the the information necessary so then they can put all of their experience and all of their best practices to work? So that would be one. I think the other thing that happens is if you get together as a team, um, then we can start to work on the little bumps along the way and you don't want little issues to fester because the longer they fester the more that we don't deal with them then it just becomes an us them or or quite frankly you know we just say i've done my job now it's your your stuff and you throw it over the fence and, and that's not going to be good anywhere especially from senior leadership that's not how they think they don't think in your particular silo they're thinking organizationally wide right And so that doesn't fly. But I also think, John, if you were to really, if you can have some sort of accountability and or um, whether it's a KPI, MBO, whatever we're going to be calling it, or measuring, that goes across the groups, right? So it's not a group focus. It's a project focus or it's this focus. And I think that way we're all tied into each other to make sure that that process works start to finish. And I, and I think the other thing is, as leaders, you're gonna have to make sure that if you've got, whether it's people who don't wanna play in that environment, who are not good team members, then you gotta deal with that as quickly as possible. And just, you know, don't follow the old, I see no evil, I hear no evil. You gotta get on it, deal with it before it becomes an issue that you can't stop.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, we had a guest last week and he, he, uh, he re-edited the saying that no CEO has ever said, which is, "Gosh, we we fired that person too soon." <laughs> if you know they're they're not a good fit, uh, the interesting part about it was uh, they were very compassionate. They said the trick with that is that they're suffering as badly as you are. So it's the the, yeah, the, the actual kind thing to do is address it and 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 move on.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, I think most of the organization already knows that long before they're just waiting for you to do the right thing. Right. And, you know, and we all have to have that courageous moment, even if it's for five minutes at a time. And to your point, you're doing them a favor. But I also think you're setting an example for the organization of what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. And you're creating a culture one way or the other. So you can determine what culture you want to you know, create. It's either, you know, I hope I don't see that type culture, or it's, hey, this is the way that we operate, hey, this is what we've talked about. You gotta you gotta be a team member either here or you gotta go find somewhere else to be a team member. And I think once it's that clear and everybody's held accountable, then it's much easier. But I think sometimes we as leaders, we tend to avoid that stuff because it's not clear. And therefore now we're in this gray area of you know do you think it really was clear do you think this do that and you know in your heart of hearts it wasn't so you probably put up with it longer than you should to be honest you know that's always it and quite frankly in today's environment somebody who's not operating on all you know the optimal efficiency is probably still better than nobody in that position right that's always the thing when you have you know like a sales leader doesn't doesn't replace the people that probably should be replaced on their sales side, because otherwise they have to take that job too. They've got to make sure that that quota gets hit. So, you know, I always say a deadhead is better than no head, right? So unfortunately we've kind of just learned to live with it. And the companies that don't have that attitude, don't have that approach are far more effective than the ones that just say, I hope they get it. And, you know, and John, the longer they're with you, the harder it is to make that break.
0: Yeah curious if you've, uh, if you had experience successfully shifting teams for somebody that you like culturally, but they're not doing well in the the product team and you say, maybe they do better in marketing. Have you had success with that? Or, or is that if, if they're, if yep. they're not good in one team, is it generally a bad fit all
1: around? No, I mean, I, I've done it actually many times, to be honest. Um, I think have to sit back and just say, is that, Is it a is the person fit within the organization and they just don't fit in the job or they don't fit in the job and they don't fit in the organization? Right. So there are times where I know that person's not fitting in that role, but I also know they don't fit within our company. It's pretty easy. But when I have somebody that whether, you know, it's just not their passion for what they're doing or maybe they're not as detail oriented as we need them for that particular job, but you know they have the passion they have the commitment for the organization and they are good team members we move them all the time and you know quite frankly they become better contributing employees when we've moved them and they thank you for it you know because they're unhappy as well they don't want to make a switch they like where they are they just don't like what they're doing and i think that's where we have to just see that as a as the senior leader just saying Right person, wrong job, or wrong person, wrong job.
0: Right, right. Um, shifting gears a little, I, I'm curious. Um, the idea of I call it cultural debt, but are there are there the, the the basic premise is what got us to this point won't get us three years down the road. What has what do we have to leave behind that was useful to get us here, but won't serve us any longer? Um, talk to me about, uh, you've, been, you've been at this game a long time. How often have yeah. you had to address what we call cultural debt and say, you know, that worked when we were a garage band. It, it won't work now or it won't, um, it won't play with our customers. It's not good with our vendors. It's not good internally. Do you have an example of that in, in your own ascension?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, quite frankly, it happens all the time uh, in our industry just because of the rapid change, you know, and and I think it's harder as a leader. If there's just a a black and white cutoff date, like that's not going to work any longer. It's pretty simple. Everybody gets to see it. But when you're trying to figure out where the puck is going, and so you're going to make that shift before it actually has to be made, like you, you have options, then it's really where people are, Second-guessing or keeping their you know their foot on first base as they say and they don't want to make that switch yet Because it's change and no one likes change unless it's your idea and then it's a genius attack, right? But if you're on the receiving end of change, it's not so it's not so pleasant most of the time But I think that's where you again, we go back to over communication You got to tell people what's what and what's going on. So what are some examples for us where we just had to shift? Well, you could go to the big one that just happened which is hey you know we just can't wait for virtual training to to go away we're going to get face to face you've got to do x right we did have a lots of people waiting for that i mean that's such an easy example of how that works but uh, but there are, are a lot of those examples where we change pricing models uh, we have changed the way that we call programs right so the titles we've added we've deleted programs that were very very popular at the time but they weren't going to be popular moving forward. And we had to make a shift. So we do it on content all the time. We do it on delivery stuff all the time, quite frankly. And it's hard for me because even when it comes to content, the big joke here is I'm a hoarder. Like I throw nothing away. Right. So, you know, (laughs) you know, I I try to just say, well, maybe it's going to come back. So I know I've got the same issue. You've got the old binders
0: with CDs in them. You still oh, got that,
1: those? Yeah, I, I have all that stuff, right? <laughs> we were just joking about, you know, <laughs> you know, all the way that we used to have the tapes and all that stuff. So I've got whatever you need. I have. It's all in the archives. Now, you could never translate it today's technology, but, I, but I've got it, right? <clears throat> but I think that the tough thing is that you have to believe what you're doing, believe that that, that direction is correct, communicate it, get everybody on board. Make sure that it's the best that you can be and then just don't look back. And, and, and that's just the in- just
0: that's just the internal side.
1: That's just the internal side. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've had we've had differences where, you know, let's just say our approach to the marketplace has changed dramatically two years ago. You know, where we used to charge either a per person fee for classes or a per day fee. We changed that whole model. And it's really hard because you've got people on the old model renewing and they're like, well wait a minute now, how's that working out? And that feeds that feeds all the stuff internally with the people who didn't want to switch anyway. It's like, hey, see, we should have just kept it here. It's like they, they, they go back to I told you that wasn't such a good idea, you know because they relive it all the time. It's not you just shift and it's over. You've always got people up for renewals. you've got lots of people doing different things. And, and so it always takes a year or two for us to make those types of switches. And, you know, we just updated our sales leadership program and our old sales leadership program was great, but now we have a new way to deliver it. There's new content. And what we used to do was awesome, but that's not going to work in tomorrow's world with the technology that's going on. A.I. is there augmented reality. I mean, everything has shifted and we can't live off of what has made us you know, our market leader up to this point. Now, same philosophies, same stuff, but it's going to be different. And that just takes an incredible amount of internal PR, right, because you want the people who are, are going to embrace it early, my early adopters are doing testimonials, we're doing beta programs, you know, we're trying to get that momentum going. And, and quite frankly, after a while, it just becomes second nature, but you're getting an organization of hundreds and hundreds of people to shift the way they do things when they don't actually probably agree that it has to be changed now or why don't we wait until there's no more options and as leaders of the organization you don't want to wait until there's no more mm-hmm. options that that is yeah. too late
0: right? yeah it's way too late and so it
1: may not even be within your ecosystem but you can see where the marketplace is going you can see where competitors are going and you know you have to make a switch mm-hmm. and i think you just have to you know again you have to explain to people what you're doing, why you're doing it, and what's the, the benefit of doing it. But also, what's the alternative if we don't do that? And then I'm a big, I'm a big believer in getting groundswell. That's my thing. And, and pretty soon, you know, we're all heading in the, right, in, in the same direction, at least.
0: And is getting a groundswell harder now with hybrid work, workforce? Or, or do you have everybody back at the office where, where you can put them all in one room and uh, it's easier to facilitate that?
1: We don't have everybody in the same room. Um, you know, and it's kind of interesting. It'll be it'll be interesting about a couple of years from now to see all the studies about how that has affected company culture and onboarding and all the collaboration stuff that goes on within an organization. Um, but it is harder now because you just can't walk down the hallway and you can't really see the body language all the time because they're just staring at, you know, the, but you, you see the rest of them going, ah. So you just have to. You know, to me, I'm always I'm, I almost look for when people are unhappy versus looking for the, oh yeah that's the greatest idea of all time. I'm searching out the people who don't give me that reaction because I know that those are the people I have to go and, and talk to one one on one, and then I circle around and you know have somebody else talk to them so just to see if we have the same types of responses. And, and that's it takes a lot of extra work. Um, I think you're at a disadvantage when you don't have everybody there. But when, when you have offices like we do around the world, I'm not gonna get everybody anybody, you know? So I'm always gonna be dealing with this hybrid environment, even if we have people here at the home office that are here physically. But even then it's, it's harder and harder, as you know, for that hmm. to incur.
0: I'm, I'm curious, um, how much is the dissension that that naturally happens how much of that is um, resistance to change and how much of it on the opposite side is that a uh, what I'll call an, um, embedded or intuitive wisdom where they say something tells me this isn't a good idea. It's not that I'm uh, that I vote everything down. Uh, mm-hmm. There's something here that isn't working. How do you how do you manage that spectrum where you say we should be listening here because we're getting we're getting feedback that isn't right versus uh, it's the it's the usual um, protest or uh, resistance to change. Change. How do you yeah. how do you walk that line?
1: Well, I mean, again, we we embrace people telling us how to make it better. So, I mean, a lot of organizations don't embrace that. So yeah, a lot of them don't at all. Don't to, yeah. they don't want to hear it, right? If if we talked about it in the C suite, it therefore must be true. And to me, I always think I've got a I got an idea about forty percent baked, and I need you guys now—you meaning employees, customers—to help shape it and make it even better. And that goes from a Dave idea to a—it's our idea now, right? And so I think that's that's the key. However, so if you're looking for people that constantly um, fight back, it's just their nature. You have to ask yourself: Is it because? Uh, they weren't included, and so they feel kind of left out. They, their voice wasn't heard. Mm-hmm. And so I always look for truth regardless of who says it. And so when somebody says, well, don't listen to XYZ because they're always complaining, to me, that's that's a false narrative. That, that's not true. I always look for the truth. And there is always one or two individuals in our company that would be what I call a mismatcher. I say this, they're going to say that. I say this, they say. I don't care what it is. That's just their, That's just their DNA. But for many years I'd avoid them, and for the last ten years I search them out and I say, here's an idea that I'm going to end up, you know, doing. Beat this up, and they beat it up, and they actually make it better. And I've come to embrace that versus, oh my gosh, if I have to talk to that person, yeah. I mean, we should roll this out when I know they're on vacation. It's like you know, one of those things. We don't do that. If I, I just embrace it, and I think it makes it better. And so for me, that's really what it boils down to. If they weren't there, I give enough uh, time and enough opportunity for people to tell me why it won't work or how to make it better, right? Because we'll always say, okay, what's what's going well? What could be better? And what do we have to do differently? And it gives people an opportunity to kind of bucket their thoughts in those three areas and give them permission to say what's working well, because we, of course, want to replicate that, right? But what could be better? And then what has, to be, what has to be changed? What has to be completely different? And so I think our culture in general embraces that. Because in my mind, you have one shot. When you roll something out, you have one shot. Now, I know that's probably not accurate. You can always adjust. But I always view it as it's too costly. You've got a lot of human capital involved here. So I'd like to get it right the first time. And I, I'll give you an example. So several years ago, we had a, a brand new um, sales course, and they told me what they wanted. They mean in the field, right? So all of the trainers, this is what it is. We mm-hmm. went out and we built it, you know, in the super secret lab that really didn't part- didn't have anybody participate. But we knew what they wanted. We brought it to them, and they said, "This is a this is a swing and a miss. That's not going to fly." And sorry, the customer
0: of- the customer said this.
1: Our, our all of our offices, our trainers who, in, who interacted with customers, they're like, This is not going to fly. Got it. And every ounce of our collective bodies here at the office were like, Nope, that, this is it. This is what you said, blah, blah, blah. And it has nothing to do with who's right and who's wrong. You know, I always do battles and wars. We could have won the battle, but we're going to lose the war, right? That's just in my head, that's, it's not worth the exercise. So I said, OK, let's pretend that's all true. How would we fix this? Put aside this for a second. How would we fix it? Four hours later, they had made all the changes that they thought were going to be you know, necessary for it to be a better product. And we had huge amounts of resistance internally. I mean, a huge amount, because they've spent months and months on this. But shame on us, because evidently, we didn't do touch touches all along the way. And so when you surprise them with this rollout, that was, a, that was bad on us, quite frankly. And we made the changes, and it became our number one product. If we had just said, "Nope, that's the way it's going to be because we know better. We have all the, you know, the brain power back here that's going to end up doing it. That particular product would have never sold. That would have never sold. Um, and not because it wasn't any good. It's because they would have proved us wrong, and they would have proved right. themselves right. right. And, and to me, there's no room for that in business at all.
0: So I'm curious, did you, as a result of that, did you then revamp your um, design process where you say Mm -hmm. about 50 percent, let's get it in their hands and let them play with us? Almost like a minimum, like software, like a minimum viable product and say, let them play with it. Tell us what they like, tell us what they don't like, and they'll tell us what we need to do on the back half. Did you revamp it all?
1: We did revamp and it's the way we do it now. And we do everything now in smaller chunks. You're never going to get a whole program of anything from us. Now you're going to get chapter by chapter. And yep. you have the opportunity to push back or to you know, say it's awesome chapter by chapter. And then, of course, you'll see the finished product. So what we did there, which quite frankly was working for 15, 18 years ahead of time, that was accepted. It got blown up in one single meeting. And we just pivoted and said, okay, got it. And this is the new way that we operate. And that's how we did it. And it's a new way that we do it now every single time. It's just standard operating procedure now. So, so we learned.
0: Yeah, and I'm guessing that's on you that you recognize that our process was outdated or obsolete or would no longer, this is what I mean when I say cultural debt, you say, it's yeah. not, not a system or a process debt. This is a way we've been thinking that if it's worked for 18 years, it's got to still be good for, for 10 more as opposed to, whoa, we went big swing and miss. Uh, we got yeah. we to gotta, we gotta redo how we think about this.
1: Well, I mean, even in our industry, if you think about our industry in general, uh, I'm pretty sure we're the oldest one in our industry, meaning as far as experience level, not, not, yep. age, not age. And we have morphed probably 10 different times. And you had to whether it was because of technology whether it's because the the customer mm-hmm. you know demanded it or we just knew that that was what was going to end up happening regardless but i think if you're not morphing and you're not looking for ways to morph and you don't embrace it then i think sometimes by the time you realize you should have changed it's too late right you become a blockbuster like oh yeah i should have i should have morphed there and you know especially when you've got All these offices, you know, I just feel this moral obligation that I don't really care if I'm right or I'm wrong, quite frankly. You know, that's it's man, leadership in my mind has no place for ego. If I wanted to prove I'm right all the time, then I could go do that at at home. It doesn't even work with my own family. I'm never, I'm never. No, you'll be fired
0: faster at home than you would at work. Yeah, it's not
1: going to work anywhere. So, (laughs) you know, I always, I always laugh sometimes when I do. Coaching when people are just fighting the fight to fight the fight, and I'm like, well, what are you, what are you doing? You know, well, why, why are you doing that? And there's no good reason except, you know, sometimes it's ego, it's hurt feelings, it's invested time we're invested in a project, and we're so far down the road we can't change. And I always say, well, let's pretend they're right for a minute. Now what happens? Well, that's going to be a problem. Okay. <laughs> well, shouldn't we just stop and just say? Let's pretend they are right for a minute. Now what happens? And I think that's really where we just have to almost almost stop what you're doing and look at it third party, you know, and said, what would you do? You know, if if in fact it was correct, like it is wrong or it has to be changed and and you're the only one who doesn't believe it. Whatever game you play for yourself to try to look at it from a different perspective, I think it helps. And, you know, you and I both know this from the business that we're in. I think it's easier sometimes for people on the outside to look in and say, that's not working because they're not in it. Right.
0: It's a it's lot always... easier. And they've got they've got no skin in the game. So it doesn't matter. Exactly. You just got to say, yeah, you want to keep failing at that? That, that, that doesn't bother me. But yeah, sure. Looks yeah. like that's not working.
1: Yeah. 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 It's always easier to be a movie star in somebody else's problem. I always yeah. thought.
0: No, that's that's yeah. interesting. So you you had mentioned you you know you've you've been around a long time in this industry. How much is that an advantage because you're the stalwart, and how much of it is a disadvantage because they say oh, those guys are out of touch. They're still trying to sell 70, 1970s technology.
1: Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. We hear that all the time, right? You'll hear things like, uh, th- "I think my grandfather went through that training program." <laughs> yeah. That's always the that's always the thing. And it's from probably, most of the time, it's from startup tech companies that, you know, really don't have a lot of history. They're throwing
0: shade on you guys. Yeah, Yeah. they
1: don't have a lot of history. So what are we supposed to say, you know, except that I'm pretty sure these watches have been around for, you know, 500 years and they still work. So I think as long as you act as if, you know, you're nimble and you morph and you're constantly changing, then I'm fine with that. You know, I, I hear it all the time and it's fine. Uh, but we're still the largest and we're still the oldest and we're still standing. So I think that I'll take that as the judge of, you know, the time. If time is, looks has anything to do with it, it'll, it'll be an okay thing. But again, much like anything else, it's how you act every single day. And, you know, again, we've morphed so many times, as I said to you earlier. There, right. If we were doing the same thing that we were doing before, we would have been out of business a long time ago because the market changed.
0: Right. The market would have crushed you. Yeah, yeah. I'm just just for fun. I'm curious if uh, if you voluntarily step down in favor of a 27 year old new CEO or president, would that shift the identity from the people that haven't been around as long as you are? Because you got a kid running it now, or or does that still hang on just because it's it's an easy way to throw rocks at you guys?
1: Well, meaning that it's a uh, just because there's a younger person running Sandler. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I was 27 when I took over Sandler. So it'd be interesting (laughs) to see, you know,
0: a a (laughs) lot of you still is. Yeah. A lot of you. haven't. Yeah. You're still at, you still got the energy and and passion for it. Yeah. Well, to me, I go ahead.
1: No, I just think if you bring in people from different backgrounds, different age groups, different experience levels, then I think you all, you always have that, you know, that kind of that potpourri stuff versus being surrounded by one demographic, you know, or, or just one background, I think is a problem anyways, to be honest. Right. Right.
0: So what's on the horizon? What, what gets you up in the morning and makes this game still fun to play?
1: Well, because I don't know what's coming tomorrow. I mean, in in fairness, (laughs) because there's just so much change that, you know, you're, what excites me is I I know we've put a lot of bets over here, let's say, whatever here is. And I want to see those come to fruition, but we're also at the same time, you know, you're watering all these plants that you've already grown as an example, as an analogy, you know, we're we're also looking forward, right? And and I think in today's world, we do have the opportunity to by far become the largest in the industry, not in the training, just the training industry, but to expand our thinking and just say in the performance industry, when it comes to business, Sandler can dominate. And to me, that's, that's exciting. Um, and it's exciting how you can now take technology and embed all of the tactics and strategies and content into the technology. Where you know, I can role play with an avatar now, right? Or right. I can have all this stuff going on that never would have never entered your mind five years ago. And it will become commonplace over the next 24 to 36 months. To me, that's exciting. Now, half of me is scared out of my mind because you don't know whether you've made all the right bets in order for you to capitalize right. on that. But our organization is nimble enough, where you know it's not like we're, t- we're turning the Titanic here. We can just we can pivot if we have to, and we've had to in the past, where you made the wrong call, you got to you know shift quickly. Um, but to me, that's exciting. You know, that's exciting. And I've got five kids. They all learn differently than I do. You know, I'm still a watch it and I can repeat it guy. You know, and I don't mind 30 minute, you know, videos. I don't mind that stuff, but I'm in, I'm a very short line of people waiting to see that stuff. So they're over here with technology and, thir- you know, three, 30 seconds or three minutes. It's just, it's just changing. Uh, and to me, it's exciting.
0: That's, that's, it's ironic that that would be the exact same answer if you said, that's why I need to get out. Yeah. <laughs> if, no. if that excites you every day, you say, it's, it's crazy. It's changing. It's scary. It's exciting. Wow. I can't wait. Or you say, you know, it's uh, yeah. shuffle, shuffleboard and golf looks pretty good at this point. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I should just step out. Uh, I I love that you're embracing it.
1: Well, you got like, we have 400 and some odd trainers and you know, that, that holds true with some, I mean, they're like just enough. I can't, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do it. I'm at a place in my life where I don't have to relearn everything. And to me, I feel bad for them to a certain extent, because that change is is who we are and what we do. Um, And when you feel, hey, I've had enough, then at least you have enough self-awareness to say, I'm not doing that any longer. So kudos to you for self-awareness. But at the same time, the machine isn't slowing down because you don't want to run that fast, right? we're still going in the left lane. You're just going to have to take an exit right now. It's unfortunate. Yeah. We'll still be friends, but you're going to have to take an exit, um, and that's just the way it's always been. And, and someday it'll be the same for me, same for me. I may not feel the same way in X amount of years, and you know, I'll slowly exit off. Yeah, it'll be it'll
0: it'll be it'll be pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. it'll be time. Last question, our favorite one. Um, if we had gone to your junior high school in seventh or eighth grade, the, the years when everybody is awkward. You know, the puberty yeah. and braces and pimples and all that stuff. If we left that meeting, like we, we shadowed you for two or three weeks and then went to Vegas and placed a bet, would we have bet on you sh- turning out as a business industry leader and a maverick and a, uh, a CEO and an entrepreneur? Would we have bet on that in in, in seventh or eighth grade? Who were you then?
1: I don't know it depends on the day right so i was like the class clown so that was half of me Uh, but we grew up with no money so i i've had three to four jobs since i was a kid so during that during that period of time you know i was the guy that got up at 5 30 and had the paper route before the bus came and you know then i picked tobacco all summer because you know no one else wanted to do that right so to me they probably would have said okay He's a hard worker. He'll he's going to go do something. We don't know what that is. What if it's going to be run a running company? I don't know if that would have been, you know, in the cards potentially. But certainly having fun—that was always my thing, having fun. Uh, and at the same time, you know, I, I grew up a depression baby. That's the way it is. It's not my age, obviously, but you know, that's just the—you could have everything you wanted in life as long as you paid for it. And that was always the rule at my house because we didn't have the money to pay for it. So that drive has never ever left me and it was there in you know in elementary or in, in middle school for sure that's funny and you and you that and i live clown thing has never changed
0: you and i live lived the same the same existence i had the same paper out and i picked yeah. uh, i picked cherries because it was in michigan and peaches and uh, it's cuz i picked them because people had them in their front yard and they didn't want the peaches to Drop after they got ripe, and then it just fruit flies and it wrecked their grass. So I, I would yeah. pick them and take them to a food bank, and then I could sell them to the food bank. The peaches were free, but I would charge the people because I was doing them service to prevent their their yeah. grassing. I was like, this is the easiest money I've ever made. It wasn't that
1: yeah. easy, but uh, yeah, we're
0: constantly looking for something You're constantly like
1: that. working. Yeah, that yeah. work ethic never left you.
0: Yeah, it is funny though because the, the the mentality of our household because I was one of nine was that it was. We never missed a meal but it felt like this could be the last solid food we have for weeks and you go yeah. when have we ever missed a meal in this house <laughs> yeah, we were right exactly. but that was the mentality is it could all turn in a heartbeat and it was like
1: yeah
0: really uh yeah yeah
1: healthy yeah. fear. healthy fear
0: yeah yeah well that's that's great that you've embraced it and you're right the elements of hard work and having fun are a pretty darn good foundation for us to bet on you yeah. in seventh, eighth, or in, uh, what you're in, in your, your, uh, sc- school year 50 now, or whatever it is that you're in. Uh, it's, it's the same kid at heart. That's great. That's great. It is. Well, Dave, is. thanks so much for joining us today on Genius at Scale. Uh, we can't do this without real entrepreneurs running real companies, making real decisions. So I appreciate your wisdom, your guidance, uh, your stories and your, uh, your willingness to play.
1: Well, thanks for having me.
0: All right, for our Genius at Scale listeners, uh, we'll see you again on another episode. All the best. Thanks for joining us today. Are you ready to scale? If so, invest three minutes in our scalability index. It's simple, easy, and gives specific guidance. Find it at evokinggenius.com slash scale. All the best.